I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That was a cliche thing. Amen. But I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. This morning, uh, I got, I'm going to preach a sermon, and it's called The Presence of His Presence. The Present of His Presence. Uh, I've had this. <clears throat> I've had this thing. Listen, I've had this sermon for like three years, literally. Literally, like not developed. But I've had this thing locked and loaded, not locked and loaded, but just like right here in my little ammo belt for three years. And I've been wanting to preach this thing for like three years. And I've never, you know, uh, you can, I get, when you have the opportunity to preach, you know, you, you, you know uh, and you don't do it every week like the senior pastor does. It gets a little nervous because you want to have something good. So, so many times I've been tempted just to pull that out of my ammo belt because it was right there. And I think it was going to be good. And God would say, nope. Nope. Put it back. Three years I've been sitting on that. I said, man, God, this would be a really good Christmas, around Christmas sermon. The present of your presence. Oh, I can't wait. Nope. Put it back. And so God's released me to uh, share this, and he's taken it a different way than I would have taken it. But I'm thankful because Pastor Steve was talking about how, you know, we, him and I think a lot alike. Well, we, we are a lot alike, and we have a lot in common, but we couldn't be any more different. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, Pastor Steve, uh, cover your ears, Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve, he's a ball player, and I'm kind of, not really, kind of, I mean, I can, and, but, I mean, he's like manly, like that, he's like tough, ball player, ball coach, that sort of thing, and uh, I'm just kind of, I don't like it, and I do the other things, like um, running around through the woods with camouflage on, and my pa- face painted with a bow and arrow, and so, and he would be like, nope, there's bugs, <laughs> now, don't take that as he's not a manly man because he's a manly man. We're just a totally different kind of manly man. When it comes to, like, getting dirty on a ball field, sometimes they make me, but I'm usually like, nope. I, I want to be able to walk tomorrow. I don't want to be sore. So you could take that as me not being, you know, we just, we the same, but we on different pages. And I'm so thankful that I get to uh, grandparent with this, with, with this man of God. I'm so thankful for that. I'm going to preach here in just a second, but I'm so thankful for my pastor. I'm so thankful I get the opportunity and honor to grandparent with him and Marie. I know this. I know this. And I was just sitting and thinking about it, a lot of the situations that I see on a daily basis. And if I die tomorrow, if I die tomorrow, I am not worried about. That's my granddaughter. It's all right. She'll be all right. They're they trying to get her taken care of. Uh, if I died tomorrow, I, I, I would die at peace, first of all, knowing where I'm going and who I've, I've trusted and whom I believe. But uh, I would not worry about the heritage that would be passed on to my grandchildren. I wouldn't worry in the least bit. I could, I could go to, sl- to sleep in peace with that. Amen. I want to talk about the presence of his presence. Uh, the determining factor on uh, where and how Jesus fits into our lives is summed up in really one thing, our perspective of him. It's our perspective of him. It's how we view him. Because how we view something is how we treat something. How we view something is the, determines, determines the 
order in which it places in our life, whether it places up here or down here. It's how we view something, the priority of it. And how we see Jesus or the perspective we have of him has a huge impact of our day-to-day living. Our proximity and positioning to Jesus has a direct effect on the level of influence that he has in our life. I know I repeat lines a lot, but that's because I think they're important, and I'm going to repeat that line one more time. Our proximity and positioning to Jesus has a direct effect of the level of influence that he can have in our life. Whatever or uh, whoever you're the closest to will have the highest level of influence in your life. That could be a hobby. That could be a person. That could be anything. Whatever we give the most to, the most room to, that has the most influence in our life. Um, has, uh, let's, let me see a quick show of hands. Has anybody in here um, ever let influence in your life from someone and then you ended up getting tricked? You got tricked kind of by their influence. I mean, it, listen, it may, yeah, put your hands down. So it may not be like a big thing. Like it could be just like something little, but it, something they said influenced just maybe a little bit what you might do. Uh, there's way too many people reading Facebook posts and being influenced by them. <laughs> way too many people asking for advice on Facebook. I had a guy asking me for advice on a boat motor on Facebook today. I'm like, really? <laughs> uh, uh, you, re- you think you really want to do that? Take it apart. I told him, this is what I told him. I said, take it apart and put a lawnmower engine on top of it. You'll be good. <laughs> put a lawnmower engine on top of that lower unit. Duct tape, set screw, you're good. That's my advice. So we've all been tricked maybe by some influence we've received. Um, it's happened to me before. Um, let me tell you a little story about one of my new shooting friends. Um, you don't have to be around me very long to know what I like to do, and that's true with anybody. Uh, it doesn't take long because it'll either come up in conversation that we have or someone may approach me while I'm talking to you and I have a question about what I'm into. And for you that don't know, and that's okay that you don't know because you don't, may not know me, I'm into bow hunting, I'm into archery, that's my thing. Uh, I'm into harvesting what God put out there for me to harvest, and I love it. And we are, yesterday was opening day, and <sighs> praise the Lord, yeah. here we go. <laughs> uh, so I was having a conversation with a guy. Uh, I've, I, you say, why was you having a conversation? Because, well, let's just, 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 I used to be really good at archery. Back in the day, I was really good. I've won a lot of money shooting archery. I've had companies send me a lot of gear and, and want me to shoot their stuff, and, and it still happens from time to time. But just let me be real clear. I'm not the archer that I used to be. I'm not, I'm not as good as I used to be. Uh, eyesight, I, can't, I don't wear contacts because I, I can't shoot good with glasses on. And so just old age has affected it a big time. So, but I still get these young guys, they'll come up to me and say, hey, man, can we get together? I'm having trouble with this or that. So we was having this conversation, and this guy's like, hey, can you come, can you come over after work and shoot with me? I'm having trouble. I don't know if my form's breaking down. I don't know what's happening. And as we're having this conversation, another kid walks up to me and he says, uh, oh, yeah, 
yeah, I love to shoot archery. Do you guys care if I join you? And uh, he's like, and he starts throwing names around like guys I know. There was a local guy. He since went on to be with the Lord. He was a two-time world champion named Dave Smockers from the area. And he was a two-time world champion, IBO world champion. And he's like, oh, yeah, I shoot with Dave. And I'm like, all right, come on, man. Come on with us. And he's like, oh, I need to go buy some arrows. And I'm out of arrows. And I'm like, oh, dude, don't even worry about it. I got dozens. I said, just bring your bow. I said, I'll bring a dozen for you. You can just have them. Don't worry about it. We go on, and we get there, and it took me about 30 seconds to figure out that this fella and me, we wasn't even playing the same game. <laughs> and I'm not even any good anymore, but we didn't, he didn't even know what game we was playing. So this kid, if you can imagine a four-foot-by-four-foot four backstop that we put the target in front of, okay, just in case we would miss. Uh, he was excited just to hit that four-foot-by-four-foot four backstop at 10 or 15 yards while literally we were shooting at pin tacks and golf tees at 40 and 50 yards. <laughs> he didn't even know what game we was playing. So for a split second, for a split second, I was influenced so much that, man, I'm going to help this guy. I'll just give him some arrows. He didn't need the arrows I gave him. <laughs> he didn't need the quality of the arrows I gave him. And he really didn't need the arrows that I gave him. Uh, <laughs> 30 seconds into it, he didn't need, uh, he, we, nope, nope, nope. So the reason I got tricked was because uh, I heard the words he was saying. And they sounded good. But I didn't know the person. I didn't know him. I didn't know. See, and it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. He wasn't trying to misrepresent himself. If you'd have seen what he was shooting and how he was shooting it, he literally thought he was an archery phenom because that's all he had ever been around. But because I didn't know him, because I hadn't spent time with him, I just took him at his word. Do you hear me? I just took him at his word. I believe that uh, our view of Jesus is often skewed, just like my view of this kid was skewed because I hadn't spent any time with him. I believe our view of Jesus is often skewed because of how much exposure we're getting to him. Do you hear me? Uh, How we view Jesus is so important. I want to take just a minute and talk about how we view Jesus because it's not all that different The way that people today view Jesus isn't all that different than the people in the Bible viewed him. You think, what? Yeah, church people in the Bible are just like church people today. If you read the sermons that the Apostle Paul and the things that they were dealing with, and we talk about how bad today is, it's not. They were dealing with the same things. They They were dealing with gender confusion in that day, believe it or not. They were dealing with the same issues that we deal with today. So it's important to look about, to look like how Jesus responded to people and how the people were responding to Jesus so that we understand the whole situation. There's a story in your Bible that you're very familiar with, and it's where Jesus fed the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes. Uh, There's four accounts of this story in your Bible. I know this is going to get a little slow for a second, but it's important that we understand this, okay? It's important that we understand this. In Matthew 14 and in Mark 6 and in John 6 and in Luke 6, it all tells the same story. It all tells the same story. And it's all accounts of how the people saw Jesus. Uh, 
The people in Jesus' day, they weren't able to see him for who he was in a lot of cases. Only the people that were really close to Jesus, his disciples, were able to answer those questions properly. And when Jesus said, who do people say I am? And they had a big list of things. He said, well, some, you know, some call you Moses, some call you Elijah, some call you John the Baptist brought back to life, some called him a blasphemer, some called him a teacher, some called him an earthly king, and Jesus said, who do you say I am? And they said, well, we, you're, you're Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. And, and he says, you've seen well, but that was directly, their answer was directly a result of spending time with Jesus. A direct, they knew who Jesus was because they spent time with him. And even though they spent three and a half years of in Jesus' college because they never left him, they was with him pretty much 24-7, they still got it wrong sometimes. They would still get into an argument sometimes. Well, who's going to be the head? Who's going to be the tail? Who's going to sit at your right hand? They still couldn't get it right. The time we spend with Jesus is more important than you can imagine because we got to see Jesus in the right light. We don't want to mess this thing up. We don't want to mess this thing up for our family, for our kids, and for those around us. It's so important how we see Jesus. Some said he's a blasphemer. Some said he's a teacher. Some said he's an earthly king. Some called him John the Baptist. Their view of Jesus was subject to their exposure to him. How did the world see Jesus at that time? Jesus was coming, becoming so popular that King Herod himself was even inquiring about him. He was doing all, the, all these things, and Herod's like, who is this guy? i got to get people to find out who he is. And so he's even asking, who is, who is this Jesus? The Bible tells, this, tells us that in the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we talked about those chapters, that a crowd of 5,000 men begin to follow Jesus. It was like a... It was like an old-time paparazzi. The buddy, they was just, they was hounding him. And John reported this. John reported this, that in his account in the gospel, that the men followed him because of the miracles that he was performing. They didn't really necessarily care about what he was saying, but they cared about the miracles he was performing, the sick being healed, the dead being raised, the lame being made whole. That's why they were following him. They had an agenda that didn't have a spiritual application. Okay, listen, I'm slowing down. I'm taking time because we got to understand how these people saw him. They followed Jesus into the middle of nowhere, and after doing so, they got hungry, and Jesus felt sorry for them. And he said, we got to feed them. They had two fishes, five loaves. You know the story. Jesus fed them. Great deal, right? But let's look at the backstory on this. Let's stop right here just for a second and look at the backstory on this. These people didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a Bible study. All they had was the law that Moses gave them and some prophecies about Jesus. That's what they had. That's what they were looking at. And many of these prophecies about Jesus, just how we often uh, misinterpret the word of God because we don't look at the whole context and we make it fit how we want to fit, many of the people in that day were doing so also. So some people had in their mind a mighty king coming to deliver them. Because the people of Israel, it's important we hear this, the people of Israel, the nation, the Jews, they were being ran, they were being overseen by the country of Rome. So they were still not their own people. They were looking for a way to get out from underneath this. And when they seen the miracles Jesus was doing, when they seen the fish multiplied, when they seen all these wonderful things he was doing, they seen a mighty king. 
John recorded in this story, right when he got done feeding the 5,000, John records this and he says this, and Jesus recognized that the 5,000 were about to forcefully make him a king. He perceived that and said, no, no, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to be made a king. I am here to bring, I'm here to fulfill this law. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here to be a savior. I'm not here to be an earthly king. I think so many times that we get our view, our perspective of Jesus so mixed up that we get like all, everything is mixed up about how we see Jesus. So how we treat Jesus is different. How we pray is different. We're not praying for the needs of others, but we're praying for more of this, more of that, because we're not in close proximity to Jesus. And we see, Lord, Lord, they wanted to be close. For th- These people were so tenacious. Listen, these, this group of men were so tenacious that after Jesus slipped off, they chased him across the water. The Bible says they got into boats and they chased him across the water to get to where he was. Because, and, and Jesus turned around and said, you don't want me? You don't want me? You don't want the sacrifice this requires? All you want is my loaves and fishes and miracles? And, he, and all of a sudden, that group of 5,000 went from following Jesus to not wanting anything to do with Jesus because they had a warped view of who Jesus was and what he was about. A warped view. We try to make this walk into something that it's not. This walk with Jesus is simply this, Jesus is enough. And we try to make it about, oftentimes we try to make it about we get what we get or we're going to throw a big fit. Oftentimes, we try to use Jesus. The way people perceive Jesus and see Jesus is how they try to use him for things. And oftentimes, the way people perceive Jesus is how they interact with him. Okay. Let me just remind you right now this morning that his presence is a present. When we receive a gift, we can do what we want with it. We can use it the right way or the wrong way. About three years ago, Tony Shaw, a good friend of mine, gave me a uh, nice birthday gift on my 43rd birthday. He gave, us, uh, he gave me a tool belt fully equipped, and on that tool belt was a 22-ounce framing hammer. I have the option to use that 22-ounce framing hammer to frame up walls and drive nails, or I can use it for a fingernail file. It's going to be way better if I use that thing for its intended gift. And uh, it's going to be kind of painful if I use that as a fingernail file. Anybody ever used a hammer for a fingernail file? It sounds ridiculous, but it's just as ridiculous the way we sometimes try to interact with the creator of the universe. The reason this happens is because we don't see him right. Sometimes Christians are only interested in getting their symptoms treated instead of dying to their sinful nature. We see we want the side effects of sin to be treated, but we don't want to give up the sin. I want to read a little scripture this morning. All right, it's found in Galatians, the fifth chapter, the 16th verse. So I say, live by the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of your flesh. I'm going to skip down to verse 19. Now, the actions of flesh are obvious. So this is what the the fruit of the flesh produces. 
The actions of flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, promiscuity, uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, rivalry, jealousy, outburst of anger, quarreling, conflict, factions, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, and things like this. I'm telling you now, as I have told you in the past, that people who practice such, practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Christians today want to live according to their flesh and have the fruit of the Spirit in operation in their life. Listen, and it's because we're not close to Jesus that we feel okay about this. We want to live how we want to live, but we want the fruit of the Spirit. We want the love, the joy, the peace. We want to have peace, but we want to do whatever. We We may not try to operate in all the list, that Paul put up there, the, the, the works of the flesh, what they produce. But we'll, we'll pick one of those things and try to live in it and then wonder why the blessings of God aren't in our life. Right. We want love and joy, but we, we want to hold grudges and fight. We want, uh, lo- uh, we want uh, peace and goodness, but we want to have a little drunkenness and wild partying. We want patience and kindness, but sexual immorality and idolatry, they're probably okay in small doses. Uh, I think we have some interference here. Hello? Welcome to the Golden Crown Cafe, sir, where you can have it your way. What can we get started for you? I don't understand. What, what is this? Sir, we are the Golden Crown Cafe, the ultimate experience and feel-good spirituality, physical, and fleshly things. Can I get something started for you? Uh, hang on. Uh, sir, can you hold on a minute? Uh, do you guys hear this? Holy, I'm just making sure that it wasn't just me. Do you got, Pastor Steve, you messing with that mic? Because he's got a mic like this one down there. He's going to, okay, so are you there, sir? Yes, sir, we're here. So what are you saying? (laughs) Sir, you can have it your way here. We have whatever you want with no change of heart required. Wow, that sounds amazing. So I can have my blessing in my fleshly nature too? Is that what you're saying? You can have it your way here, sir. All of our products are made of 100% spiritual nature and 100% of fleshly nature. (laughs) That's 200%. Everybody knows 200% is better than 100%, right? Uh, I don't see... A menu. So, uh, do you have a special today? What is to your? Do you, yes. What's what? How do you do this? Sir, our special today is one of our favorites. It's our Holy Ghost Honky Tonk Cowboy Country Boy Combo. Okay, stop. Because I did not even hear what you just said to me. I did not even hear. What was the name of the the special? Yes, sir. The name of our combo today is our Holy Ghost Honky Tonk Country Boy Combo. Well, hey, uh, so uh, that sounds really fun. What's what's all that include? It comes what? with holy fried whole church's chicken. 
It comes with a side of deep-fried, nail-scarred, hand-seasoned, straight-and-narrow, wide-cut, curly fries that are baked for the healthy-minded. So, you're, can you re, can, what kind of fries are those again? Yes, sir. Those fries are deep-fried with nail-scarred, hand-seasoning, straight-and-narrow, wide-cut, curly fries that are baked for the healthy-minded. So, let me get this straight. Uh, these fries are both deep-fried and baked? Sir, for the clean conscience. Whoa. <laughs> so uh, is that all that comes with the combo then? Oh, no, sir. It also comes with four of our goosebump biscuits guaranteed to raise the hair on the back of your neck. It also comes with a fiery hot holy less donut filled with our signature grace grape fluff filling. <laughs> uh, so it comes, okay, hang on. It comes with biscuits or donuts? Oh, no, sir. It comes with four of our Goosebump biscuits and a fiery hot holy less donut filled with our signature Grace Grape Fluff filling. That's Grace Grape Fluff filling? Yes, sir. Our okay. signature Grace Grape Fluff filling. Ah, oh, that sounds amazing. Sir, I almost forgot. It comes with our triple extra half and half gallon of spring water. Okay, you... I think you messed that up. It's that's half and half tea, right? Like sweet tea, half lemonade. No, sir. This is our signature spring water, half bitter water, half sweet water. <laughs> to be honest, sir, the experts said it couldn't be done, but we did a hybrid natural spring with both bitter and sweet water. And, and did I mention it's also cholesterol free, calorie free, gluten free, spiritually free, flesh free, and sacrifice free? Wow, uh, that is a whole lot of free. I am digging that. Uh, it sounds like a lot of food, too. So uh, is that just like for one person? Do you have a smaller combo size? Because that sounds like a lot. Sir, it is not totally free. There's a price to be paid somewhere in there. But as far as the serving size, uh, we give you extra because we want you to share it with your friends and family. So... Why don't you go ahead and pull to the next window and we'll get that started for you. I feel like I could do a drop mic right now and I don't even need to do nothing else. I know that was funny. I'm sick of the church. Halfway doing everything. Whole way doing everything. I, I am sick and tired. Not a you, not a people, but I'm sick and tired of this mentality that I'm going to have my grace and spend it too. I'm tired of the church not representing our Savior like he should. I wonder if that's how Christians treat their relationship with Jesus today. God's not something that you get in line for when you get a craving. God's not your golden goose that lays your golden eggs. He's God. And the reason the church has this mentality is because we don't know him. In order to know someone, you have to have communication with him. And when communication happens, a relationship forms. 
And when the relationship is established, our view of that person that we have a relationship becomes clear. How we communicate with Jesus changes our view of him. James 4, 7 says this, So place yourself under God's authority. The King James says, Submit yourself to God. So submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Clean up your lives, you sinners. And clean your minds, you doubters. I believe this. This has been in my spirit that there's a great awakening coming to the church. And it's not denomination specific. And it's not a great awakening like we've seen in the past. I'm not talking about, and I'm not belittling any of the great awakenings that we've had because that's what full gospel churches, they've, they're, they're, the tradition of those, but I'm here to throw tradition out the window anyway. I just want him. But not to belittle any of those mighty moves of the Holy Spirit that happened, the ones in Kentucky and the ones at Azusa Street, But I believe there's a great awakening of relationship coming back to the church. Not just, first and foremost, between us and God, but between the body of Christ, too. You say, how do you know there needs to be an awakening in the area of relationship? Because I can look at the church, and I can see that the spiritual birth rate is not what it should be. And in order for there to be a spiritual birth rate, no different than in the spiritual than in the natural, that you have to be close to someone. And when you get close to someone, relationships happen. And things come to life. And births happen. Dylan, come, somebody come help me. Uh, I believe that the body of Christ has been scattered and I believe it's been the plan of Satan to come in between us and for us to just to see each other on Sunday mornings instead of through the week. Because you get, you get a group of believers together and, and they have relationship. I promise you God does more through that. I can remember, listen, I'm an old man standing here. I'm a middle-aged man. I'm sounding like an old man. But I remember not so long ago when the church folks, we'd get together and it wasn't a planned meal, but we'd get together and have meals. It wasn't a planned camp out, but we'd get together and have a camp out. And we'd just be together. And we would just pray together. And we would joke together. And we would hear each other. And the body of Christ isn't doing that anymore. The relationship between us and God and us and our brothers and sisters has been under attack. There's a presence. There is a present in the presence. I wonder if our kids, I wonder if our kids could duplicate. First of all, I wonder how many times that we, before I say that, I wonder how many times that our kids have seen us 
share the gospel with somebody and lead someone to Jesus. How hard is it? We see hurting people all around us. We see broken people all around us. You know, you can walk through the Walmart and see the hurting people. How hard is it just to walk up to somebody and say, "Are you without being a without being a weirdo?" Saying, "Are you okay?" I'm not talking about being some weirdo. I'm talking about caring for hurting people. How many times have our kids seen us just walk up to somebody and say, "Are you okay?" Do you know Jesus? How many times have our children seen us share? our faith and lead someone to Jesus I wonder if they could duplicate it because I know they know how to throw balls I know they know how to do dances I know they know how to do pom-poms but if we taught them the most important thing how to share their faith how to love their world and are we loving our world Are we sharing our faith? Are we sharing the best present we've ever been given with humanity? Or do we have such a skewed view of Jesus and who he is that almost that we don't even feel like it's worth sharing because to so many Christians, the walk with Christ is just what happens at church on Sunday morning or on Wednesday nights and maybe the programs we're involved in. But it's way more than that. It's a day-to-day thing. It's a walk with Christ. It's communication. It's love coming and it's love going. You can't get into His presence and not be changed. You can't get into His presence and not be changed. I'm going to tell a little story. I'm going to tell, can I tell two Bible stories? Can I tell two little Bible stories that are not even connected, but they're so greatly connected? All right. I'm not even going to read the scripture. I'm just, I got it all right here, but I'm just going to tell you the story, okay? In Luke, the ninth chapter, starting the 28th verse, it was, this was right after the fish feed. This was right after the 5,000. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he went up to pray. And while he was praying, listen what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus' face changed. That means he didn't look like him. He changed. And he said, the Bible says his clothes become dazzling bright white. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appeared, and they looked like they were transformed also. That's what the Bible says. And they begin to have this conversation, and we don't hear anything about Peter, James, and John. Nothing. We don't hear anything. And the Bible says that Jesus was talking to them about his departure in Jerusalem that was going to happen shortly. Him dying on the cross. I'd say he needed a little encouragement. So he knew where to go. And the Bible says that a cloud came down and surrounded them all. It was like a little heaven on earth. And then all of a sudden, Luke records that Peter, James, and John woke up. It said Peter, James, and John had been sleeping, and they woke up. And when they woke up, they they woke up just in time to see Moses and Elijah walking off. And he looked at Jesus and said, is it okay if we're here? 
I don't even think we know what God's doing because we ain't been in his presence. And if we have been in his presence, we've been sleeping. There's a story that Jesus told in Luke 15. It's, about, it's a story we all know about the prodigal son. And you all know how the prodigal, if you've ever heard the story of the prodigal son, raise your hand. You all know how the story goes. He had a young son and, a, and an old son. And the young son said, Daddy, give me my inheritance. I'm leaving. Give me all mine. Give me what's mine. I'm leaving. We know how it goes. He went and spent it on wild women and drinking and carrying on. And then when he didn't have nothing else, he found himself starving to death in a, in a, in a, in a field full of hogs. And the Bible says he came to himself and said, even my daddy's servants have something to eat. I'm going to tell my daddy I'm a sinner and then I've sinned against him and I'm all asking to let me be his servant. And he goes back home and tells his daddy. And actually daddy sees him coming afar off and daddy meets him on the way and says, oh my God, my son that was dead is now alive. Come here. Ah, he said, daddy, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against God and I'm sorry. Just let me be a servant. He said, oh no. Daddy took his robe off, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and said, go kill the calf that we put aside to, for special things and go kill him. We're going to have a party. He ran out of supplies, so he ran back home. Mm. Big brother never left home. But let me just be real with you. I think by big brother's reaction and I'm going to tell you what it was he was just prodigal means wasteful he was just as wasteful as little brother because when big brother heard the news he heard the news he was mad and he said daddy I've stayed with you I've worked with you and you gave half your stuff to this bum and now you let him back in you never throwed me a party so now all of a sudden it comes for big brother what it was for little brother. What'd you do for me? And nobody in the picture. I understand this wasn't the main theme of the picture, but nobody in the picture had an appreciation for being in the Father's presence. Nobody in the picture. They wanted what they wanted. Little brother wanted what he lost. Big brother was concerned about little brother taking what was his and nobody was concerned about just being with the father. Oh God. I feel that's where the modern American church is at. We're so concerned about grace and mercy and it's wonderful and we're so concerned about blessings and what formula, biblical formulas we can put together to live a blessed life that we're no longer concerned with being in his presence. My God. That we can look at the cross and look what Jesus did for us and just want to be in his presence. Because what he did on the cross was enough. If he never did nothing else, what he did on the cross was enough. He didn't just cover my sins, but the Bible says that he took them away. He didn't just take them away, but he said my sins were justified after the blood was applied. That's enough to want to stay in his presence. I want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you to stay in his presence. 
If you're using him, I just want to encourage you. Come draw nigh to him and he'll draw nigh unto you. Hallelujah. Dylan, sing that song.